All right, well, um, last week we uh, looked at verses 17 to 27, roughly. Um, Paul called to him on the island of Miletus, he called to him the elders from Ephesus. And what was his message to them in those verses? 18 to 26, 27. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a it's an exhortation, an exhortation to um, he brings to their their memory uh, what he was like when he was among them, not shrinking back from declaring the whole counsel of God or shrinking back from declaring to them anything that was profitable, and that's their task ahead is to be that way for the congregation at Ephesus. And how well did Paul know these elders? How well did Paul know these guys? Yeah, yeah, he was there for three years, right? And so they probably knew each other really well. And um, if you remember last week, I mentioned this is the only message from Paul to Christians in the book of Acts. So it's a very special text in the book of Acts. The only one like it in the whole book. Pretty neat. Well, let's uh, maybe start at verse 25. So we're covering some ground that we looked at last week. But 25 uh, to 30. Would someone read those verses? 25 to 30? Who's got it? Joseph. (laughs) Now, I know that you all among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own selves, men will rise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Okay. So, again, Paul taught them the whole purpose of God, meaning that these men were equipped for the task. There was nothing that Paul held back from these men that they could say, Oh, well, if only Paul would have taught us that, then we would have been ready to do this or that. Uh, Paul says, I, I didn't hold back. They were equipped in every way. And in verse 28, we looked at this a little bit last week. Verse 28, what are the duties of these overseers in Ephesus? Just verse 28, what are their duties? What are they called to do? Okay, to pay attention to who? Okay, and who else? Themselves. Yeah, don't... Don't overlook that. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Okay, um, good. And then down in, uh, let's see, verse... See, I, I prep things in the New American Standard, and then I switch to the ESV when I teach it. Why do I do this to myself? Uh, let's see, uh, verse 31. What else are they supposed to do? Thirty-one, yeah. Be on guard or, or be alert, okay? So they are to um, oversee, pay careful attention, be alert, be on guard. Those, that's the summary of the tasks that they had. 
Um, the word that's translated uh, in verse 28 in the ESV, it's overseers. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Anybody else have a different word there? Okay, good. Yeah, because the word literally means to see over, to watch over. So as overseers, it makes sense that their primary task is to oversee, right? <laughs> uh, it's, it's their main duty is to watch. And what are they to watch for according to this passage? What is Paul telling them to watch out for? Yes, yes. So he says, pay attention to watch yourselves and to all the flock because, verse uh, 29, fierce or savage wolves are coming. That's what made this so pertinent for these elders of the church. The wolves were coming. They were a-coming. That word uh, savage or fierce, that adjective that's used before wolves, anybody have a different word for that in their translation? Joseph said savage. Mine said fierce. Yeah, the, it just means strong, serious, heavy. Um, this is a, a big matter that they were to uh, care about. Because what are the fierce wolves going to do? It says come in. Yeah. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. They're coming for the sheep. They don't just come in to, you know, have their own little sub-congregation within the congregation. They come in to tear away, take away, draw away the sheep. And in verse 30, it says that they are going to come from where? Those wolves? Yeah. From among your own selves. Wow. Uh, so, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. It's an amazing thing. Um, the idea of apostasy or the concept of apostasy is here. That people associated with the church or associated with Christ, uh, even leaders, teachers, would fall away and teach something that's false. And apostasy is just a really mysterious thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a weird thing. <laughs> Hard to really get our minds around that. Um, that someone could be among us and speak very well of the gospel and good theology, articulate the gospel and good theology, so much so that that person might even be an elder in the church, and then... That person turns out to be a wolf. What's up with that? Uh, that's wild stuff. Melissa? Elisa Childer, she's a Christian apologist. She was going to church, and her pastor invited her to a small group Bible study that he was teaching. And in his Bible study, he was questioning Orthodox Christianity. Mm. Like, he was promoting progressive Christianity. He was a pastor of the church. Mm. And that, like, totally that threw her for a loop. And that's why she's an apologist now, because she was really... Like caught off guard and not prepared to give a defense for hmm. the faith. Wild stuff, isn't it? Yeah, so we have to be on guard. <laughs> really, all Christians are to be on guard. That's an aspect of spiritual warfare. But uh, for leaders in the church, they're to be on guard and to be alert and to pay careful attention to themselves and to all the flock. Mike? Let us be identified through your Say that again. Why does he identify a three-year period? Oh, I see. In verse. 
in verse 31? Um, because that's how long he was in Ephesus. Be, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day. So calling back to his example for those three years. Rex, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say it's, it's, it's one thing to have that kind of people as it maybe come in or one, but it's so bad that yeah. they're in. Like I said, for three years, they know how long they may have been there, and, and <laughs> then all of a sudden they surface. We've seen things kind of close to that here uh, a few years ago. Yeah, it turns out they were wearing a reversible jersey. Like, wait a second, you were on our team a second ago. <laughs> what happened? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, and, and they're identified as wolves in verse 30 again because of their speech. Speaking twisted things or perverted things, your translation might say. Uh, being perverse or being twisted, that's a quality of the world. Um, remember Jesus saying a, a uh, perverse generation seeks after a sign. Uh, to be twisted, perverse in that way. Uh, that's it. I mean, it likely has in mind taking truth, taking good doctrine, and twisting. Uh, sometimes it only needs to be twisted like one-sixteenth of a turn, and that's extreme danger. But maybe to some people it doesn't seem that way. That's why so many people can be easily drawn away. And you see here in verse 30 again, that's the result, um, drawing away the disciples after them to twist the truth so they can draw away sheep. Mark? I just think it's interesting as well. He's looking at the attitude behind it because faithful, true Bible teachers can err in their teaching. And we want to be careful that we don't crucify them with a wolf um, and because they were thinking they were right in their teaching and they can be corrected and everything's fine. It's the attitude behind purposely knowing that this is wrong and misleading. Yeah. It's, uh, really, uh, I think it's something Paul's driving at is that attitude behind the, you know, that makes them the wolf. It's, I know in my you know, preaching, I have people come up and say, I don't know if that was, you know, you might want to rephrase how you said so, you know. And so it's, it's the, you know, that attitude mm -hmm. that Paul seems to really um, be driving yeah, the motive is listed as drawing away the disciples. They speak twisted things to or in order to draw away the disciples after them. Their motive is division. And that is uh, not good. <laughs> uh, we could use a lot stronger language than that, right? Um, God does not desire division in the church, but that's what wolves desire. They come in and break things up and scatter the sheep. Um, the word here for being drawn away, it's the same idea as drawing a sword, to, to pull away, to take out from some place. And uh, it's actually used for the last time in the New Testament in 21 right here, this, this same book, chapter 21, verse 1. It says, when Paul had parted from them, 
idea to actually break company with. And so that's the goal of these wolves is to get the sheep to break company with the church, to be drawn away, um, to be drawn away from the truth, to be drawn away from good doctrine, to be drawn away from the gospel, and to be drawn away from Jesus Christ himself. Um, that's, that's the concept here. I want to read to you 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. This is a similar concept. Peter, Peter writes, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. That's the idea that Paul has in mind here, too. They come in, and if they look like a wolf when they come in, then, you know, the shepherds shoot them, and it's done, right? <laughs> Metaphorically. Uh, but the person comes in and secretly brings in destructive heresies. So that's sheepskin, right? The wolf in sheep's clothing. And uh, that's why the task, the supreme task of leaders in the church is to guard themselves and the sheep from that type of thing, destructive heresies. I, I was watching today a video of some young Latter-day Saints with Sean McCraney. You guys remember Sean McCraney, uh, who's now just, you know, he passed the cuckoo's nest about 200 miles ago. Um, and they were finding unity together on the concept that doctrine divides. Doctrine's bad. Doctrine divides. When Christians get all excited about doctrine, they just get all snooty and divisive and they're just jerks. It's all about love, not doctrine. What do you think of that? Not much. <laughs> so their doctrine is love? There you go. Um, yeah, uh, you can't really get away from the fact that we all have doctrine. Even if your doctrine is, doctrine is bad. Well, that's a doctrine. Where'd you get that doctrine? Right? Uh, it might sound nice to people, but you can't escape the fact that you, we all believe in something. And we take what we believe, and that affects the way we act toward people. Now, it might be true that there are a lot of snooty Christians out there, Christians who are jerks with the truth. That's certainly the case sometimes. Um, but that doesn't mean doctrine's bad. It means that person is being irresponsible <laughs> with his doctrine. Okay. I found people just kind of get their back up and say the word doctrine. Yeah. You say we're going to study what we believe, study what we teach. We're going to study doctrine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's an evil word. Yeah. You're inviting demons with that kind of talk. Yeah. Well, um, this is definitely not the only place Paul talked about wolves coming in. Keep your finger here, but turn with me to 2 Timothy. Turn forward to 2 Timothy. And, of course, the context in writing to Timothy is to a pastor. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And would someone like to read verses 1 to 7? 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. 
Who's got it? Sure. Go ahead. We're not short on examples of that. But notice uh, it says in verse 5, they have the appearance of godliness. So to some on the outside, they look godly, but they're not. They Verse 6, they creep into households. So they do so as actors. They're pretending to be godly, pretending to be Christians, but really they're seeking to capture the weak. In verse 7, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Wow. Wow. So, uh, that's something that's been going on for a long time. Paul jumps in and uses an Old Testament example in that passage. That's been going on since the days of Moses. Uh, It'll continue to go on, and it'll get worse and worse toward the end. Um, You'll have more and more people dividing the church, and ravaging the sheep. So it's important that shepherds guard and protect and pay careful attention to themselves and to the flock. They are shepherds. Um, I don't know if that word is used in Acts 20, in the ESV at least. Uh, I I thought it was. I really need to stop preparing in one Bible and then teaching in another one. Uh, But the idea with shepherding does include the idea of guarding, but it also means to tend to and to feed the sheep. So not only are shepherds to protect sheep from the wolves, but the shepherds are to feed the sheep. It is their job to offer to the sheep continually the Word of God. And uh, if a shepherd's not doing that, the sheep will starve. And if the shepherd's not guarding, the sheep will be consumed. So it's very important that we pay attention to and obey and follow God's design for the church, isn't it? Very important. Um, On this concept of tending to and feeding the sheep, I heard one pastor recently talking about how shepherding means knowing uh, the flock well. And it also means the flock, knowing the shepherd well. Uh, He said, it's a good test. Do you know each other's favorite ice cream flavors? That's a good test. (laughs) Um, That's the type of relationship that the shepherd should have to the flock of God. Caring for them in such a way that they are aware of the needs and tend to the needs. Thanks. Appreciate it. So, thoughts on... That thus far. <laughs> that makes sense. And and made with goat goat's milk too. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Black walnuts. Good stuff. My dad makes a great cinnamon black walnut homemade ice cream. Yeah. That's good stuff. Stan, a Missouri man. Yep, Stan knows. He knows about walnuts. So I know a call back up in verse. See, 28, he was iterating and going down and he made a definite statement to them, to the shepherd, which is Jesus, the church of God, which he purchased with mm -hmm. his own mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, that's exactly uh, where we're going next, is re-examining verse 28. And looking at God's ownership of the church and his management of the church. Verse 28 is really cool. It's a great verse. Um, notice that it says, before it talks about um, other things, it says from the get-go that who has made them the overseers? The Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit also gives what according to his will? Can you guys think? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Gifts. The Holy Spirit gives each one of us, every Christian, a spiritual gift according to His will, it says. Because the Holy Spirit is... More than just Melissa, the Holy Spirit is... Okay. So, He is able to give gifts according to His will alone. Isn't that cool? And He has appointed, made these men, the overseers of the church in Ephesus. And the church belongs to God. Notice it says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for God's church. He doesn't say your church. He says God's church. This is the church of God, and it's God's church because, next line, he obtained her with his own blood. I added the her part. He obtained the church with his own blood. Uh, just turn two books over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Keep your finger here, but 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. Eh, 19. 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. Who can read that for us? Okay. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. All right, and then chapter 7, next chapter over. 1 Corinthians 7, 23. 1 Corinthians 7, 23 says, You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So the idea of purchasing, of course, it's an Old Testament concept um, having to do with purchasing slaves and uh, purchasing others. God has purchased us individually, and He has purchased us collectively as the church. And uh, Paul you know, is consistent. He says it to these Ephesian elders. He says it to the Corinthians that God has purchased or obtained the church with His own blood. So how, how precious is the church in God's eyes? <laughs> Very precious. Not because of their own intrinsic value. He didn't purchase them because they were valuable. The church is valuable because he purchased them. 
And uh, they, the elders, were to regard the church in the same manner, that they're precious. They were purchased with his own blood. And God owns the church. It's God's church. It's no human being's church. Um, I'm pretty sensitive because my dad was this way. My dad was this way not from a Christian perspective, but from probably a prideful perspective. But I'm this way, hopefully, from a Christian perspective. I don't like to call you all my people or our people. Uh, One time, this is shortly after my dad became a Christian. We were on a mission trip together uh, to southern Missouri uh, after a tornado went through. And... The, uh, the guy who was a Christian who was heading up the crew is also a general contractor. And uh, he was on the phone for a work call while we were on this trip. And he told the person on the other end of the phone, uh, yeah, I'll get my people on that. And my dad talked to me about that later. said, I don't like it when people say that. And again, I think it's probably coming from a prideful perspective for, uh, in that specific scenario. But that always made me think after that, you know, okay, well, what's wrong with that? And then when it comes to the church, I'm just extra sensitive to that, uh, you know, and that's just how I'm wired on this issue. But um, I don't ever want to pretend like anybody belongs to me or that this church belongs to me because Jesus purchased you with his blood. You belong to him, and uh, you are his people, not my people. So, other thoughts on that before we move to the last part of the chapter? I think that's kind of a matter of context, maybe. It is, yeah. yeah. And motive. Not being a pastor when I say, this is my people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. My kind of people. <laughs> yeah. Okay, not that I own them. Yeah. I can see position. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want anyone to hear me the way my dad heard that general contractor. That's. I guess that's why I'm sensitive to it. So, not saying it's wrong for anybody to say say that at all. It's just my heart on it. So, I think that's a correct way to look at Yes. Yeah. Yep. And never let ourselves get to the point where we believe we've deceived ourselves into believing we're owners when we're just stewards. And that goes for a lot of things in life. So, yeah. Our kids, our house, our car. Yeah. God owns all that, doesn't he? (laughs) This is his world, not our world. Okay, well, let's look at the last verses of the chapter of 31 to, th- to the end, 38. Someone want to read those? 31 to 38 of Acts chapter 20. The last eight verses. Mike? Thanks. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver, gold, or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must 
help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they were accompanying him. All right. So the elders were to guard against false teaching, and the elders were also to follow Paul's example. So what are some things in those first few verses that Mike just read, starting at 31, what are some things that Paul did as an example for them? Okay. He didn't want to have anyone else's stuff. He was content. He didn't covet money or riches. What else? Yeah, you can kind of imagine um, how he's there in front of them, verse 34, holding up his hands. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs. Uh, Showing them his hands while he said it. He worked hard, took care of himself, and took care of others. Verse 31, how did he serve them? Mm -hmm. And he didn't cease to admonish them. He worked heartily, consistently. Down in verse 35, And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. Help the weak. Um, They're to work hard to help the weak. What a task. So is he basically saying goodbye to the people that he's been with for three years? Yeah, he, he had left them. Because he was with them for three years, and then he had left. And this is now he's actually he's going to Jerusalem, and he's not in Ephesus. He's in a, uh, an island called Miletus. And while he was staying there for a few days, he had someone go out and fetch the elders of this church. So this is the last time he gets to talk to them. Yep. Yeah, we don't know. There's no qualifier there. Uh, the word isn't specific enough. But uh, I would think it's probably all of the above. That'd be my guess. And then he quotes Jesus. Where's that quote come from, huh? <laughs> it is more blessed to give than to receive. Can you turn anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and show me where Jesus said that? Yeah, Sermon on the Mount's a decent guess, but no. No. <laughs> John 21. <laughs> My guess is, that's interesting that it cross-referenced John 21. My guess is it's going to the verse that said, Jesus uh, did and taught many more things than are recorded in this book, and not all, or the books of all the world wouldn't be able to contain them if we tried to list them. Because this isn't in any of the Gospels, this teaching of Jesus. This quote is more blessed to give than to receive. It's not in the, in the preserved Gospels. Now, there are several things that Jesus taught that had the same idea, right? Um, this is obviously consistent with Jesus' teachings. Jesus uh, never taught anybody, be selfish. That's better than being uh, selfless, <laughs> right? That's not what Jesus taught. But this exact quote we don't have in the Gospels. Uh, So it could have been tradition that was passed on, the oral tradition instead instead of written tradition. It could have just been a summation of Jesus' teaching to be selfless rather than to be selfish. 
So uh, just an interesting thing there. But because it's a, a quote that Luke wrote down from Paul's mouth, this is one of Jesus' teachings, more blessed to give than to receive. So pretty neat. And Paul commended them to God. In uh, verse 32, he's saying, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Commending them to God himself and to his word, so that, what? What is, you take God and you take the word of his grace, and what are those things able to do according to verse 32? Build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's the goal of Christian teachers, is to commend them to God because they're God's people and to give them the word of his grace because that's how we grow. That's the food that we need to grow is the word of God's grace. Um, so that was Paul's task among them. That should be the elder's task among uh, those in Ephesus. And then, of course, you have the final scene here. After he had said those things, he knelt down and prayed with them. So here you go. Here's your biblical evidence that you pray before you go on a trip. <laughs> okay? <laughs> they kneel down and pray. And, you know, they're all crying and, and they're uh, kissing him repeatedly because they were sad that he said, you're never going to see me again. Just regular. <laughs> this was a, a, a yeah, secular kiss. Uh, I don't know. Uh, if it's not holy, I don't know. Um, weeping aloud, <laughs> weeping aloud, embracing him, repeatedly kissing him, lots of hugs, lots of tears, sweet moment. And they were to say goodbye. And now they're, they're just like the little bird that the mommy bird pushes out of the nest. Okay, Paul's leaving. You guys got this. He hasn't shrunk back from delivering to them anything that's profitable. That means they can do it. Flap your wings. Go ahead. You can do it. <laughs> and that's good. That's good. Paul didn't seek to maintain any type of control over them. And notice he didn't desire to continue to be the bishop over the archbishops. He said, it's the last time you're going to see my face. You're on your own. Melissa. Have you already written No. Uh, I don't think so. That's a good question. I'd have to look at my New Testament timeline cheat sheet. Yeah. When did he write it? I'll look at it um, here in a minute. I'll run to my office. Now, but speaking of that sort of thing, um, Ephesus, of course, the, those believers got their own letter, the book of Ephesians. Where else are they mentioned in the New Testament? The church in Ephesus. Um, Revelation. Revelation. You guys remember that? Jesus talking to the seven churches? And what did he say to the church in Ephesus? And remember, this is definitely after the life of Paul. So this is uh, 90 AD. What does Jesus say to the church at Ephesus? You have forsaken Yeah, that's the famous line to them. You've lost your first love. So we don't know. Does that mean these elders blew it? Does that mean the elders after them blew it? What does that mean? But they lost their first love. Now... Let me give you a little bit of good news on the other side of that. This isn't inspired scripture, but Ignatius, he was an early church father. He lived around 150, I believe. Ignatius, we have preserved in his works 
a letter to the Ephesian church. It's pretty amazing. He's just like two generations removed from the Apostle John. And he wrote a letter to the Ephesians. And in his letter to the Ephesians, he commends them for doing well. So apparently they heard the Lord Jesus uh, rebuking them. You've lost your first love. And apparently they repented and started doing well. If we trust that letter, and there's good reason to believe it's legit. So there you go. Interesting stuff. Sometimes it's better to not know the, uh, <laughs> what happens to some of these churches. You can just make up your imagination. Oh, they did great. They did great. Hmm. Thoughts on this chapter or this message to the, the elders? Remember, um, here we see elders plural for a singular church. So multiple overseers for one church. Um, that's one of the evidences that we have for that type of church government. That's why we have that type of church government. It's because we believe the New Testament teaches that. Okay. Nothing else you want to chat about it from in there? <laughs> the ages, say that again. The elders, uh, they were 12 years old or whatever. Correct, yes. And they didn't have name tags. <laughs> no. Yeah, he called for the elders and they came on their bicycles. <laughs> Melissa? Oh, I have a timeline in my Ephesians Oh, quite a long time after that. Good. Any general Bible questions? If there are no more questions about Acts 20, we still have time. I, I had something. So, like, earlier you were mentioning about, like, you know, what's God's church. Yep. And it kind of made me think about when Jesus was talking to Peter about, like, you're the rock upon which I'll build a church. So, what does... That's not what it says. Right. It says, well, you are Peter, yeah. and on this rock I will build my church. That's why there's some dispute on <laughs> what the rock is, yeah. Yeah, because uh, the Roman Catholic Church, do you know what they believe about that? They teach that he's the first pope. And so that Peter was the rock, and Jesus was teaching that he was the pope. Well, yeah, so Peter makes the confession. Um, you, you are Jesus, the, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you today, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So the question is, is Jesus building the church on Peter, or is Jesus building the church on the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Some people take that view. If you take that Peter's the rock, then you have choices. Well, does that mean he's the Pope? And is that what Jesus is teaching? That's wacky, right? Uh, you got to do a lot of weird stuff to make that the case. Um, so what does it mean that Peter is the rock then, if that's the case? And there are different theories uh, to that. Um, you know, the, the Bible says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So there's a, an idea right there, and Peter was an apostle. Um, but, yeah, it's good to not get too hung up on it also, because then you can start thinking some crazy things. I don't want you to think crazy things, Joseph. <laughs> okay. 
Anything else? I'm willing to discuss anything. It's kind of dangerous. Travis, you always have crazy questions. It's your last Wednesday night. We're going to bring that in. They don't know that. Yeah, yeah. This is the last Wednesday night Bible study of the year, by the way. Um, the next two Wednesdays we will not be gathering uh, right before Christmas and then New Year. We'll, we're going to do January 6th. We'll be back and we'll do a hymn sing that evening. We'll sing hymns and pray. And then January 13th, we will start Acts 21, almost a whole month from now. So remember this study because you're going to need to recall it in three weeks, four weeks. Okay, well, anything else going on that we need to know about or that we can be praying about, generally speaking? Gospel conversations or anything like that? Sandra. I'm trying to figure out if this is a moment thing or what, that we got delivered a bad with the Lumen and then we instructions to set it out on a certain night to celebrate Jesus' birth. Wow, that must be a Mona thing. about that. I've not gotten one, so. A, a floating lantern thing is uh, you light it and it floats. Yeah.